The following presentation was recorded live at the 2015 National Bioneers Conference. To learn more about Bioneers programs and media products, visit www.bioneers.org. Good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing? How's the conference been so far? Good, good. Well, I appreciate you being here with me this afternoon. And uh, we are going to be talking about cultivating dynamic power, um, catalyzing the movement. Uh, my name is Mia Koda, and the work that I do is called Fierce Allies, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. But why don't we start in with some of the wonderings that uh, are sort of informing our, our time together today. And I say wonderings because this is an exploration for me. I don't claim to know and I don't teach in the way that I have more knowledge than you do. I'm, I'm in a constant exploration and I'm always learning from the people in the room. So I will be wondering with you and we will be wondering together about what is possible when we stop perceiving power and privilege as limited commodities. And I uh, emphasized power because a colleague of mine recently um, noted that the system is comfortable with us talking about privilege. It's not comfortable with us talking about power. And that has been tickling my brain quite a bit and going to be the focus of the intensive I'm leading on Monday um, with that colleague, actually. Um, so today, I wanted to really focus our attention on the power part of the conversation. And the other wondering is, how do we collaborate in ways that generate dynamic power? So I'll start by um, just giving you a little overview of kind of where we're going to go. And then I'll go through a little bit more about what this work is about. So um, I'm first going to give you a bit of a fierce allies theory of change kind of overview so you have a context. Uh, and then I will introduce you to one of the foundational practices of the work which is called the dignity practice, and we'll say more about that. And this will be a pretty interactive um, uh, workshop, so hopefully that's okay with you. Um, and then we, were, um, we will, I'll share with you actually a personal story about cultivating power from rage and shame. And I was really grateful for the, um, the workshop that was here just before with the emotional intelligence piece and how important um, emotions are as catalysts for impacting and changing the movement. Um, and then we will uh, start to have you guys interact a little bit more doing a, a game called um, population survey around what sources your dynamic power. And then we will uh, have a brief conversation about a concept and a practice in this work that I refer to as um, cultural humility. And then we will be doing a cultural humility practice um, called living into the question. And that'll be interactive and in, in duo. So at some point you might want to see if you can be sitting next to somebody. Um, and then we'll start to debrief and start to see how all of the things that we're doing are um, catalysts for the movement. So does that sound okay with everybody? Great. Okay. So, so Fierce Allies is a body of work that's designed to help groups with contentious dynamics have fiercely honest dialogues about all the things they know they need to be talking about, but they're often not talking about because they're high-risk conversations that don't go very well. So this work is very much about learning how to stay in your body, to stay in relationship and to stay in the conversation 
when the important issues are on the table and the strong emotions are present in the room. So this work is also very much about shifting what a lot of us consider to be obstacles like fiercely honest dialogues into opportunities. And some of the other obstacles that we focus on are uh, obstacles as opportunities are relationships, um, discomfort and difference, and I'll say a little bit more about each of these in a moment, shame and rage, which will be a little bit of the focus for today, safety and limiting perceptions. So I like to think of this work as relationship-based strategy for change. Um, and by that, I used to be a development officer um, doing fundraising for organizations. And somehow money seemed like the most powerful role to have in an organization. And I was, if I do say so myself, very good at fundraising. I was called a tree shaker. Um, and the reason I was good at it was because I was good at building resilient, honest, trust-building relationships. The funders trusted me, which meant they took risks on me. Um, and I could pretty much talk them into doing anything I wanted, which was powerful, fun. <laughs> um, and so that, and not just for me, but then I would train my clients on how do you do that same thing? How do you, even though you're the one who needs their money, what are the forms of power that you have that they need, right? They want what you have, and how do you stand in the dignity of that as a means of shifting the power dynamic? Um, discomfort and difference. In relationships, um, often we are most uncomfortable when we are in unfamiliar territory. We, um, and usually that territory is defined by um, something we, we don't know, something different than what's familiar to us. So that's usually what has us either fake it like we know what we're doing, right? Bad idea. Um, or it has us sort of panic and gets hyper defensive because we don't know and all of these other bizarre, very human things that we all do. Um, and, and what we want to be focusing on here is how do we actually recognize that innovation is dependent on that difference and our ability to navigate that difference is dependent on our ability to be familiar or comfortable with the discomfort that arises when we're in the face of it. Does that make sense? Great. I'll come back to shame and rage in a second. Um, you know, I'll go to shame and rage now. Um, the two biggest obstacles to fiercely honest dialogues are shame and rage. Do, do I need to say more about that, or do people have a sense of what I'm saying? Yeah, okay, great. So when we're having difficult conversations, let's say across um, race, people get hyper-defensive or hyper-aggressive um, in relationship to the content. And if you think about it, um, the way I like to talk about it is that rage, okay, so we're an evolving species, right? We lost the tail, not so useful. We still have rage. We actually still have shame as well, right? We didn't lose those because we're designed to have them. And what both of those emotions make possible is rage is literally the chemical ability to protect what you love. So we have this whole way of looking at rage in our society like it's a bad emotion and it's problematic. 
but it's mostly problematic because we're unskillful at it, right? One of the ways that we're unskillful with it, whether it's ours or somebody else's, is we often shame people for their rage, right? We also shame ourselves, and then we shame ourselves and each other for our shame, okay? And the emotion of shame is literally your own internal GPS of how to take care of relationships. Shame bubbles up and washes over us, and we're like, uh-oh, I think what I just said or I think what I'm about to do is gonna jeopardize my relationship to community, and we are a pack animal. So our survival is dependent on our relationship to community, so it's not surprising when somebody says something politically incorrect or racist or does something that is one of those two, that the emotion that shows up is so overwhelming because literally they feel like their survival is at stake. And if you, you know, look down the path of that, often people's jobs are at stake, their reputation, their sense of who they are. And so it's a very overwhelming emotion. And yet, we have our own internal GPS. We get the early signals that, I'm not sure if I should say this, but for some reason, we don't listen to it. And we don't listen to it because we're uncomfortable with hanging out with shame. So my theory is how about we get familiar and practiced at working with strong emotions like shame and rage to the point where um, we can be skillfully rageful. And in order to do that, you have to have, um, you have to know the, the difficulties and the challenges of your own shame and shaming others so that you can work with that in a way that's skillful. And it was great, the talk that they just had before, and they talked about how do you do that uh, skillfully with children in particular. Um, so we'll say more about that in a little bit. Um, safety. Well, if these are unfamiliar emotions, then we need to have places where we practice, right? How do, we, how do you get skillfully rageful if you don't practice, right? How do you get skillfully shameful you don't practice. So how do we create agreements with each other as a movement that we're going to work with these and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to learn from those mistakes? And then that becomes not opportunities for shame, but opportunities for growth and catalysts. Does that make sense? Great. And then limiting perceptions. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a recent phrasing that I'm using in terms of discussing um, the idea of power and privilege as limited commodities. I just don't think it makes sense that for me to be powerful, I need the power that you have. I don't think that's true. I don't need your privilege. You don't need mine. Power is generative. And the power or the privileges that you have are different than the power and privileges that I have. As a woman of color who was raised in an interracial community, has had the profound privilege of being in so many different sectors of society, um, in conversations about race and difference, I'm often the most privileged person in the room. I have the most practice. I have the most permission. <laughs> um, I can say things that some of you could not say, and you don't even have permission to defend yourself from, right? And so what am I doing with that? To me, we want to be looking at power and privilege. In some societies, they talk about power and privilege. Actually, the term privilege is the same word as responsibility. Privilege, responsibility, same word. That's smart. 
we have those divorced from each other, and it's important that we start marrying them back together. With increased power and privilege comes increased responsibility for the safety of everyone. And so then how do we look at what are the power and privileges that we have that they may not have, and how do we own them, hone them, cultivate them, collect them, and change the power game? But as long as we keep wanting what they have, you know, it's like, it's like wanting to be somebody who you're not. Um, so that's the limiting perceptions piece. So this goes to sort of the change piece. So this is part of my musing and my wondering, so I'm gonna invite you into this with me. So my theory, um, and I recently saw a documentary called um, Uncorruptible, um, and they defined power as the ability to change, to change yourself, to change other things. So if we're using that as our, as our aiming, right? Um, I like to think of shame plus dignity, and again, we'll practice dignity together in a moment, and we'll explore what that means and looks like. But I believe if you can marry shame with dignity, that gives you humility, right? Humility is great. It's different than humiliation. It often can have room for humor. It's very human. <laughs> humility plus rage, to me, equals change. And in a way, humility is, is partly the idea of knowing how shame works and how to work with that skillfully rather than in a way that's harmful. To me, skillful rage is dynamic power. It's the ability to be creative with it, to use it in ways that's, that's kind of an art form, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. So that's, that's my theory. I'm open to pushback and challenges. Um, but why don't we play with that for a little bit as we move into some of the exercises. Does that sound okay? Great. All right, so I'm actually going to invite you all to, um, you know what, I'm going to move. Oh, wait, going wrong way. I'm going to go back to this for a moment. I'm going to actually invite you all to stand up and do a practice with me called the Dignity Practice. So as we do this, I want to invite you to just sort of wonder for yourself, how might this practice be useful um, as you're navigating shame and rage. And then we'll talk about that in a moment, okay? So actually, I'll invite you all to start with your eyes closed and invite you to have your feet hips distance apart. And just start to take a couple of deep breaths. And letting your inhales find your skin. Mark your skin as both the encasement, the containment of all that you carry, as well as the place where you meet everything that you impact and that impacts you. So with your inhales, I invite you to let your skin soften around that. And with your exhales, I invite you to drop the weight of everything your skin carries to the earth below.
And with each exhale, dropping that weight more and more completely, so much so that you impact the earth, dropping roots down towards the core of the earth and letting those grow longer and stronger with each exhale. And as you anchor yourself in the unconditional support of the earth, I invite you to gently let your eyes open. So staying connected to yourself while also being in relationship to those around you, just holding a soft gaze. And as you continue to exhale your roots into the earth, I now invite you to use your inhales to fill into the length of your body, which I like to think of as the embodiment of dignity. Standing tall, taking a stand for yourself and for what you love. So just notice what it feels like to physically embody dignity. And as you do, I invite you to find a sensation somewhere in your body. Our body is always full of a million sensations at all times, and there's usually one or two at any given moment that are asking for attention. So give your attention to one of those. And it's worth noting that sensations are usually located in a place, maybe the leg or the hand. And they can have temperature qualities like hot or cool or even room temperature. And they can have movement qualities like tingling or pulsing. And they can also have shape qualities like round or soft. So again, find one and just note to yourself its location and a few qualities about it. And then anchored in those roots and the length of your dignity, I invite you to now bring the depth of your dignity by filling to the back side of your body and the front side of your body. And I like to think of that as how we connect that which is behind us, our past, our ancestry with what is ahead of us, the future and future generations. And our legacy, our responsibility is this time in between those two, the present. So can you fill and connect those two through you with presence and let that impact your dignity? Now I invite you to breathe and fill into the width of your body. Taking up space, which is really about making yourself available to impact and be impacted by those that stand by you in the present. And we are physically designed to do that, so can you entrust yourself to that brilliant design? And also know that as a dimension of dignity. And then take a few breaths, just really linking all of those dimensions, letting them all be resources to each other, as well as all of them as expressions of dignity. And as you do so, I invite you to again find a sensation. It may be the same one as before. It may be a different one, or maybe that first one changed a little bit. Just notice it. 
and I invite you to find a partner. And when you have, uh, have your sensation anchored, I invite you to share with your partner your name and the location and a few qualities about your sensation. So just take a few seconds to do that with your partner. actually want to, I missed one little piece of guidance. As your partner is sharing their sensation, let yourself be impacted by what they share. And then switch. They will share their sensation. Let yourself be impacted. And it feels really important to discuss the sensation you're feeling now or in the moment when you share. Sorry. It's important to share the sensation you're feeling when it's your turn to share, not the one you felt before not the one you're feeling even as I'm speaking right now. Share the sensation that's present when you're speaking. Please continue. And switch if you haven't switched already. And when you're done, please take a seat. So grab a seat when you're done. And I'd love to um, have a few people share how might the dignity practice, and there are several elements to it. Um, there's the getting in the body, there's the metaphors, there's the noticing a sensation, there's the sharing a sensation, there's the letting yourself be impacted. Does anybody have a thought on how any of those elements might be useful in fiercely honest dialogues about all the things we know we need to be talking about but we're not talking about? It helps you keep in your body. That's right. What else? Helps you stay in the present. Right. Be able to stay in the present and be real. To be out of the head. Beautiful. That's right. 
So it creates connectivity to hear how other people are feeling. So when we do that, that piece about let yourself be impacted, what does that mean? What does that look like? How did that, how did you use that? How could that be useful? Anybody? The thought of give and take. Right, receiving and letting other people be seen and heard. That's yeah, it's it's empathic listening. It's and there's a way by sharing your sensation, you're creating empathy. And so you know, whenever someone's in a training and they share, my heart's pounding. You kind of can't hear someone say that and not know exactly what that feels like. And you actually adjust your body as if that was your sensation. And then there's a way that we start to become sort of one body, which we, we're a collective. We're, you know, we're part of an ecosystem. And it's really useful to be able to create that. And also for yourself to just notice, wow, my heart's pounding. <laughs> like even if you didn't say it out loud, just to notice that for yourself, to know the level of emotion that's present for yourself. So I'm gonna invite you to keep using that. I'll take your question in a second. I'm gonna invite us to keep using, again, the practice itself and or the sharing of the sensation if that feels useful and the letting yourself be impacted as we continue. Did you have a question? So you're saying the, the, the use of empathy makes judgment go to the side? Is that what you're saying? Well, uh, um, I'm often running groups, and uh, it's easy for me to like decide that you know, this person is talking too much. Or, but if I had, uh, was more empathetic on whatever was underneath, the idea, the idea would not come so quickly. Yeah. What, what I'll say to what you're speaking to is most of us have really good access to the story. That person's pissing me off. That person's talking too much. Oh, my God, they're really annoying. Right? That's easy. <laughs> Underneath that is some of us have more or less access to I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm frustrated. What I find that often when I'm angry, I am also sad. I am also frustrated. But we often grab the one that we're most familiar with. And then that doesn't give us access to the other pieces of it. So then we're kind of, we have a narrow solution to the problem. Underneath that, what tells us how we're feeling our sensations? I know that I'm angry when heat rises up the back of my spine. I know that specifically because I do this practice all the time. So now when heat rises up the back of my spine, I'm like, wow, I'm pissed. But I don't have to do anything with that. I could do something with that. But it gives me the ability like, okay, I'm really angry right now. What do I want to do with that? Yelling at you, I'm not sure that's, that might for the moment quiet you down. It might not. <laughs> um, but if I really want to interrupt a pattern of oppression, I need to have a, a, a longer arc of what I want to do with my rage. And I want to share a story right now that kind of illustrates what that might look like. Um, so that feel okay? Great. Okay. So I will note that uh, this is a recent story, and it uh, 
still sources a lot of shame stories for me. So I'm in the practice with you and I appreciate you being with me and I'll just share um, my sensation. Hmm. So there's like a, it's almost like there's a thin film of butterflies above my heart that's just sort of fluttering. Um, so this summer I was at a dance intensive. Um, I'm also a dancer. And uh, it was up in Canada. Canadians are so nice. They're so nice. It's almost difficult. I'm from New York. So like the contrast. Um, so I was at this dance intensive and um, it was an artist residency. And so there were several of us that were there for three weeks. And um, does anybody know what contact improv is? Okay, so it was a contact improv intensive. Um, or that was the common theme that we had in, with each other. And one of the foundational practices of um, contact improv is this thing called the underscore that was created by one of the, the founders, Nancy Stark Smith. And it's, it's a useful and really interesting and fun way to wonder through um, the practice of contact improv. However, one of the key components of it is um, this piece called the powwow. And so I'm of indigenous descent, and um, even the way that they're describing the powwow is actually not what a powwow is. <laughs> um, and Nancy has been told this for the last, she's known this for 20 years. She says that when she teaches the underscore. She's like, I know this term is problematic, um, but I haven't found a better word to replace it with. And then she teaches people and it's now being spread across the world and people are doing it all over the place. And so I've had to have that conversation several times. Every time I want to go to an underscore, I basically mentally prepare myself to do the powwow correction conversation. Um, and so we were in this intensive with a group of 15 people that were there for the whole three weeks. So the first underscore I noted, hey, that's problematic. I find it offensive. Can we use a different term? Sure, 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 we'll call it the gathering. That's always the word they change it to, just for the record, so they should just call it the gathering, but for some reason, that's not what they change it to. Anyway, so we change it to the gathering. Great, have the practice. A couple days later, we do the underscore again. Okay, everybody, let's gather in the powwow. Hey, I found that really offensive. Could we not use a different term? Oh, oh yeah, that's right, we'll call it the gathering. So this went on over and over and over to the point where I would actually just stop showing up when they would do the underscore because I was on vacation. I was like, I don't really want to get into this with people and they're Canadians. I want to be nice, you know? And then finally in the last um, week, actually it was like three days before the whole thing was over, um, we actually had a couple of new people joined us and one of them said, okay, and she was leading the underscore. Okay, so let's gather in the powwow. And it, a bunch of people all turned and looked at me like, okay, say your thing. And that was actually the part that pissed me off. It wasn't her. It was the fact that they all, they knew. And they didn't do anything. They looked at me like, okay, you get to do your spiel. So I did my spiel for a moment, and then I actually realized I needed to do a little bit more than that. And I was really grateful that there was this awesome white male who from the first day I showed up was, like, was fascinated by fierce allies and um, eventually actually has talked about wanting to do work with us and he's, he's pretty phenomenal. And so he just 
um, decided that he was going to be sort of my partner while I was up there. I was the only person of color. And, you know, and he was just aware of, like, how difficult that must be and how uncomfortable. And, and so it was just always available to, we would create physical practices we would do with each other to work with some of the power dynamics that come up in the practice. And so he was just brilliant. So um, after we had, after I did my correction, I decided that I needed to do a little something. So I pulled him over. And I was like, hey, can I borrow you for a minute? He's like, oh, God, yeah, sure. Um, he didn't say, oh, God. But I could see it in his face, like, oh, <laughs> she's got that look. And... Um, and I said, okay, so I'm pissed. And I've decided I want to bring the heat. Like, I'm going to bring the heat. So here's how this is going to look. When we gather in the powwow, um, I'm going to actually let it rip. And I need you to know that I'm going to let it rip so that you don't worry about me. And I'm going to say what I need to say. And then I'm going to go. And so you need to not follow me. You need to stay and be my eyes and ears to see whether this experiment works. So he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm in. Okay. So, um, so they all sitting on the floor in a circle for the powwow. I couldn't sit. I was doing my dignity practice. So I'm just standing. Okay. Okay, getting my body, noticing my sensations. Does anybody have any questions? So I put my hand up. And I say, and I will let you know I'm going to clean it up a little bit for you because it's being recorded. Um, but I say, um, I apologize if what I'm about to say um, is disrespectful of your process. But I feel, uh, I won't clean it up, I feel fucking disrespected by your process. And enough of you have heard me say this enough times to know that it's offensive. And yet you don't interrupt it. And so I'm clear two things. One. This makes me so uncomfortable that I've decided that I want to make you all at least as uncomfortable as I feel. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, I am doing my job. And number two, just lay it out. If any one of you ever participate in an underscore again and allow the word powwow to be used and don't interrupt it and correct it, you are part of the problem. You don't have to know what a powwow is. <laughs> You don't have to know why is it offensive. It doesn't matter. It's offensive. You know that. That's all you need to know. And so now you know that either you're part of the problem or you're part of the solution. You can do with that what you want. I'm going to leave. I might come back. I might participate. I might interrupt stuff. I don't know. I haven't decided that yet. Um, you all can process this however you want to process it. The only way you can't process it is with me because I am not interested in you coming over to me and saying, oh, I'm sorry, or I wasn't sure what the right thing to say was, or I don't know what a powwow is. Because that would actually make you feel comfortable. And as I noted, I'm actually trying to make you uncomfortable and leave you uncomfortable until you change your behaviors. So that's about all I got to say. I'm going to go. Okay. All right, so I'm going to do a little dignity practice here. <laughs> hmm. So I have energy shooting up my legs, all up into my face. It's like, like I could do it on the microphone, but I won't. Um, yeah, just a lot of energy shooting up. So I invite you to actually all just take a breath and, uh, and just let yourself be impacted by that. And I'm curious to know, um, 
what did you notice about the obstacles or opportunities of shame and rage in that story? What did you notice? Or let me say it a little bit differently. What did it reveal about the relationship between shame and rage as dynamic power? Where did shame show up? Where did rage show up? Where could it have shown up? It was important, yeah. And that was triggered by... I just want to get the microphone. Can we get the microphone circulated for this? Sorry. You can go. I'll repeat yours. Uh, and that was... That shame came up because of your rage. Sort of... Say it again. Um, I was just saying that it was important for the group to feel some amount of shame to know that their actions were not okay, and that shame was brought up by your rage being present there. That's right. That's right. Who else? You want to pass it back that way? Well, one of the things you said in the beginning was we need to control it. And you took time to really process that that's how you were feeling before you just leashed, uh, lashed out on the group. And so you were able to control it in a way that um, had a greater purpose. It wasn't just you unleashing your anger on others, but like using it as a tool to help them understand why you were angry to begin with. Yeah, I, I'd say that's probably the first time that I was that clearly strategically rageful. Like I was like, oh, I need to like flame some people right now, but I don't want to hurt them, right? I want to impact them. What were you going to share? Yeah. Oh, but wouldn't it only be effective if the entire group agreed with you? No? What do you Is mean by true? that? Why are you asking that? Well, if, if they agreed with me about what? Let's start about with About your belief. Because they would have to side with the notion that they have done something wrong, where maybe they don't feel like they've done something wrong. Because it's, it's somebody else's opinion of right or wrong. Yeah. For it to be effective, they would have to agree that some sort of hurt or harm occurred as a result of their actions. Of their actions, yeah. right. Yeah, I was. I, I I took a risk on that. Or inactions. Or inactions. Yeah, or exactly. Lack of, right. Exactly. And there was some right behind you. Wait, go back one. Um, I thought it was interesting because um, you chose to release your emotions, your rage, and you had no shame of doing that. You knew that going into it, so you took away the shame and you accepted all of the rage to assert dynamic power. I'm assuming here. Yeah, and that goes back to the piece around in order to be skillful with your rage, you have to know how shame works, right? And for me, shame is the idea of, am I worthy of being in community, right? Is what I believe worthy of protection? And we shame each other as an, an effort to dismantle that. We may not know that we're doing that, but that's what happens. But I actually think that if we can cultivate dignity, like really be committed to practicing our own dignity, we can embody that stand, which is very different than being righteous, right? For me, when I'm in my dignity practice, because I make mistakes all the time, right? I do some stuff that 
we have a practice in this work called um, uh, shame with dignity, uh, the shame with dignity poster child game, where we literally like tell like really shameful things that we've done, and just and own how did we move through it with dignity. And some of them are pretty funny, you know. But there's like how do you actually be like I can't believe I did that, as opposed to I can't believe I did that, and I hope nobody knows I did it. So we do what I sometimes refer to as camouflage rock, like hide, hope, don't move, hope nobody notices. It's a disaster. But the shame with rage, you know, poster child game is actually about how do you call yourself out, right? And to me, doing shameful things is very different than being someone who's not worthy of being in community. Actions and self-worth are different. And it's similar with when people do racist things, I'm still not convinced that they're racist with intention. They're the only one who knows that. I'm not trying to judge your character. I'm judging your action. And so, and I'm also clear that you can try to judge my character, but I'm the only one who has the right to judge my intentions because I'm the only one who knows what my intentions were. And if they were faulty, then I need to look at that. <laughs> but that's part of the dignity practice. Let's get you the mic. When you hear someone bring up a request just in the name of humanity, I've been in circles where I've gotten very upset because I can't burn my sage because it's going to offend someone. You know, so it, to me it's the same thing. It has a psychological, which turns into a physiological problem. If there's someone making a request in a circle and they're not comfortable with something, where is the humanity? That, that answers to that or holds that sacred. Well, that, that's the piece that, um, that came up for me and how courageous and how um, heavy that is to carry that everywhere you go. That's right, that's right. That is, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It is absolutely a lot of work. And I love the fact that where's the humanity, which to me, Humanity is linked to humility, right? So going back to shame plus dignity equals humility. And so not only do I need to be working on my dignity, but everybody needs to be working on their dignity so that when their shame comes up, they don't get overwhelmed by it, but it can actually send them into this place of I'm humbled. Like, oh, I did something that was offensive or problematic doesn't make me a bad person. Therefore, I would love the feedback because I have no interest in doing things that are offensive, but I don't have to defend it or pretend that my whole who I am is caught up in it, right? So, so these are some of the, the pieces on how these strong emotions are catalysts, right, for dynamic power. Last one, and then I want to keep moving. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed was just the sort of skillful rage part is that you weren't violent in how you brought it up. <clears throat> you said your piece, and then you left, and you let them deal with the shame. And in the last talk, um, the woman was talking about how you, how you incorporate shame with your children, and she said, you know, if they take a cookie they're not supposed to, you say, you know, did you take this cookie? You let their shame come up, and then you just leave it, because they have their shame at that point. You don't need to, like, keep piling on. That's right. That's right. Yeah, thank you for adding that piece. All right, so... I'm going to play a little bit with our shame and rage. And we're going to do a game called Population Survey. So I am going to invite you to um, 
take a moment and think about an issue or a circumstance that sources shame or rage for you um, in your work, particularly around movement building. Okay, it doesn't have to be if that's a stretch. Um, don't get too caught up in the story when so-and-so says, what's the thing? I'll give you an example in a moment. Um, and then what we're gonna do is invite you to stand up and say, I feel rage or shame when, and for me, um, I feel rage when I tell people something is offensive and they continue to do it. So I would stand up. Anybody who has that same source of rage, I would invite you to stand up with me. And let's take notice of who's with us, who's not. We could do that with a shame one. Um, I feel shame when I do something that unintentionally hurts or harms someone. That was an example, but we might as well. Excellent, thank you. All right, so now I'm gonna invite you all to name them, and as you name them, what I wanna invite you to do is as you stand, again, notice, take a look around. Notice who's standing, notice who's not. Also notice what sensations are present for you as you do it, and then we'll do several of these. Um, so whoever's ready can start, and I'll repeat it if people don't hear it. Do you do a rage? Do a rage. Okay. Yeah. Bring it. I feel rage when I witness a white man shutting down a woman of color in a Bionaire's presentation and nobody calling, nobody, everybody just kind of passively letting it go. So she feels, yeah, did you all hear that? So stay standing. Again, just take notice who's around, take notice what's going on in your body, what sensations are present. Grab a seat. Do we want to move the mic? Hold on. Yeah. Probably. Actually, definitely. I feel shame in that situation because I don't know how to call it. Mm. I feel paralyzed mm. by my own shame. So I'm standing. I'll keep squatting. <laughs> And just take notice who's standing, notice who's not. Notice sensations that are present, whether you're seating or standing. Thank you. And then this one, okay. I feel shame for not having the capacity and to bring my dreams to life and to enroll others in what I want to create in the world and that it's not happening and what's wrong with me that I can't get this to happen. Again, take notice internally, look around. I'm not so sure I'm getting everything in, in this workshop, but I'm really enjoying it. I wanted to say that to you. <laughs> I, I feel rage when I'm in a meeting with people and either I or another woman makes a point 
And then a few minutes later, a man makes exactly the same point, and everybody goes, yeah, Bob, that's a great point. Again, take notice. Take notice of the sensations present as well. Thank you. Um, going off of that last point, I feel rage when a male tries to explain something that I clearly already know. Hearing the last two comments, I feel raged that they were gender specific because I experienced it the other way. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. So stand, wait, stay standing. Don't, let's not do the shame pop up. <laughs> Come on now, own it, right? Stand there, notice, notice who's standing. Notice what it feels like to be standing or seated. Let yourself be impacted by these as well, folks. Thank you for that. Yeah. I feel rage when I'm really excited of meeting somebody and telling this is who I am, this is where I'm from. And then the first thing that came, I'm from Haiti, by the way. And the first thing that comes to mind, oh, Haiti. Oh, so poor. I'm so, I feel so bad. So it just... Mm -hmm. So again, everybody notice internally, notice externally. Yeah. And I want to do a few more, and I want to invite people, if there's any ones that you're censoring because you're not sure if it's appropriate or might not exactly sure how to say it, try it anyway. Thank you. Thank you for that. I feel shame when I am Bob or when I am mansplaining to somebody um, and I don't realize it until after I've been called out. So just stand there for a moment. I want you to know I'm standing with you. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be about mansplaining, right? It's, so, so let yourself be impacted by who's standing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, please wait, yeah. Sometimes it takes a moment. Like some of us are like, yeah, I don't want to stand. I don't want that one. <laughs> so we stay seated. And then it takes people a couple minutes to be like, oh, no, I do that. So just notice how we let these emotions censor us. That's shame working, right? That's, that's what I refer to as camouflage rock. Don't stand. Don't let anybody see you. So thank you for that. Somebody. Can you grab a seat? Yeah. Um, I have two. Can I do both? Do like one separately? at a time. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So um, I feel rage and shame when I feel kind of um, trapped in a position that I obviously see that I'm acting against what my inherent values or, or, forced, or feel forced to act against what my inherent values are mm. um, in a pr particular situation. And I either... I'm too fearful to do anything about it or I don't know how to do anything about it. And so I have to sit with that dissonance and really be frustrated by that and also shameful. So yeah, both. 
That's right. So again, just take notice internally, look around, who's with you, who's, you know, who's seated and who's with you seated. Thank you. You want to do your second one? Sure. Um, and then I feel shame when I am too, I get too much inside of my head and overthink things to the point where I don't act. Um, I know that I can, I know I have the, mm. the ability to, but I second guess myself to the point of inaction and then hate myself for that process, mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so why don't we pause on that one, thank you. Yeah, and I just wanna note, like, you know, when I talk about, um, you can pass the mic back, you don't have to hold it. Um, there's something about this to me that this kind of work and these kinds of exercises that I'm like, this is movement building, right? Literally people are like, oh, I stand with you, right? Oh, I know that. So I just wanna be in the emotional, social intelligence of movement building and, and the, you know, the training that we're gonna be doing on Monday called um, Transforming Power Dynamics into Dynamic Power for Movement Building. Um, he's got the card if anybody wants one. Um, is we'll be talking more about movement building in the systemic way. And really my, my colleague Rosa Gonzalez is really, she's gonna be honing in on that part. And the part that I'm honing in on today and then is also the emotional social intelligence that is required to be able to catalyze kind of that collective impact. But I just want you to feel the like, oh, when you say it, you know, and then people stand with you. That that's, in a lot of ways, that's the emotional, social embodiment of that. So thank you. So let me ask you, from that exercise, what did you notice? And again, we're back in the theme of uh, how are these emotions catalysts um, for the movements? What did you notice? Any patterns? Anything interesting? I noticed that um, there was like, sort of a social signaling going on and that people were really affected by other people standing up and then got in touch with how they felt by observing other people and making eye contact and that it's not just like a off-on switch what you think about something, but we're constantly kind of orienting ourselves around other people. That's right. What else? I felt like allying, it just felt, um, and specifically, I just felt like there's so much, so many tears in the room. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I looked at the eyes of this young man, I just felt, that's right. you know, because it's so much separation. Right. And I just feel like this should have been the first thing on the stage at right. the conference so that we could be open. That's right. Yeah. You know, we needed to be open to that's receive right. all this medicine. That's right. So uh, just a, a strong sense of allies, you know, yeah. just like, hey, I'm going to stand on everyone because right. we have, we're in this together. That's right. That's right. Beautiful. What else? And I want to invite those who haven't shared also, if you're, if you're moved to take an edge, you can share. Please share again. But if anybody hasn't and they're moved to, you know, take an edge and speak up, please do. Uh, well, you talked about like how is this built into movement making, and mm -hmm. it was like we were playing off of each other in many ways. Like I just listened and saw connections 
as they formed when one person said something, another similar or building off of that theme came about. So Yeah, it really fosters the emotional, social intelligence of the group. Mm. Oh, that's right. Oh, well, I got one like that too. Oh, oh. And so the, there's a way that we collectively get wiser. And also, well, if you can stand about that, then I can probably stand about this one, right? One other? might not be what we're doing, but I just want to ask a question. Is that all right? Yeah, uh, okay. and I, I might pause it for the end, but That's we'll fine. see. That's fine. That's fine, too. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that I was really struck by in your story is that you told the story about being an angry woman of color in a white group, essentially. And, and I don't want to be pigeonholed right. as an angry woman in a male group or in a male world mm-hmm. or in an organization where, oh, yeah, why are you so angry all the time? <laughs> so I, I want to ask you how, okay, how the dynamic works yeah. in order that you, do, that it, you know, that doesn't just play back at you. There's something wrong with you. You're just too angry. I'm sitting here wondering whether I should answer that or I should give that back to you as a question. Um, I think for efficiency's sake, I'm going to answer it, but that's not normally how I do it, just for the record. But I want to note that um, I've spent many years trying to not be the angry black woman. Many years. Like, okay, so what else can I do? Like all these like gymnastics and gyrations to be like anything but that. I'll be the funny angry black woman, or that like, you know, like try it all, right? The really sweet one, the one who cries a lot, like I've tried it all. And then it wasn't until I actually got that rage is necessary. Rage is the ability to protect what we love. And I wanna note that I learned about shame and rage when I used to work in prisons. I used to teach emotional social intelligence in juvenile detention centers, which I like to think of as houses of shame. So the game of me doing that work was, can shame be transformed? Just for the record, it can be. So I was like, oh, great. If they can do it, then y'all can do it, right? Um, but the number of times these kids would tell stories and then be sent to like an anger management class, and, and all the, I, would, with, I would have rage and tears and be shaking, you should be pissed. The way the system has treated you, the way often your own family has treated you, irrelevant of whether that's a byproduct of circumstances or not, you need to take a stand for yourself and you have a right to be angry and I wanna work with you on how do you cultivate that in a way that doesn't require you to gangbang, right? Because then you're you're just putting it on somebody else you can hurt or harm. But how about we direct it towards changing the system? And it's not about containing it, it's about being strategic with it, and it's about being able to, you know, if you think about a fire, raging fire, right? Fires are transformative. But as a fire keeper, which I think we all are if we're working with rage, we need to make sure that it's hot enough that it changes things, and that it stays hot enough until that change is complete, yet it can't be so out of control that, it, that we can't have any, any capacity with it. And so that's the dance. 
So I just invite the owning of, or at least the inquiry of, do you have a right to be angry? If so, then stand, you know? Great question. Um, all right, so I want to shift a little bit, moving on a little bit. Um, so um, another practice that is um, central to this work is uh, the practice of cultural humility that I did not originate. Um, it was created by Melanie Turvalon, who does a lot of brilliant work around it, and a lot of us have taken it and adapted it, and she really encourages that. So part of my adaptation is the definition we have there. Um, so I think of, of cultural humility as a practice of humbly carrying one's own culture and assumptions while interacting with other cultures with great compassion, respect, and curiosity. So if that's the definition, right, of cultural humility as a practice, how would you know if you were practicing it or you were in the face of it? What, is it, what does cultural humility look like? Showing interest in their culture. Showing interest in their culture, absolutely. Um, being in another culture and doing something you wouldn't do, like maybe covering your arms or your head to right. not upset people and just show That's right. that you care. That's right. Did you have your hand up? Being willing to um, truly engage in dialogue, like not just go there with a curiosity, but a curiosity that will help sh create shared understanding on both levels. What would that look like? Um, allowing, well, especially going into communities that are different from your own, allowing them to speak first, giving, empowering them to have a voice, um, and taking time to really listen, reflect, and then be open and honest and transparent about how you came in with a preconceived notion, but this is how you're responding to what they're sharing now and how that may or may not have changed. Beautiful. And dialogue about that. That's right, beautiful. Do you want to add? Just keep it going. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, going out of your way to educate yourself without asking that person to stop what they're doing or go out of their way, just to taking it upon yourself to look, like educate yourself as much as you can? Yeah. And a piece that I'll add to it as well is um, I really, to me, their cultural humility feels distinct from cultural competency. Um, it could be a practice of cultural competency, but I think that a lot of the way that cultural competency is taught out there in the world is in order to be competent, you need to know this much about, a certain amount about that group, and then you'll navigate it well. Which I kind of think is kind of a recipe for disaster, because I don't, first of all, how much is it that you're supposed to know? <laughs> and second of all, as somebody who's like very, very mixed interracial, I'm pretty clear that I'm not competent in any of the cultures from which I come. So if I'm not competent in it, how are you supposed to be competent in it? And what applies to me as a black woman may not apply to this woman or to this man or, you know, and so there's a way that we're going towards the I know with cultural competency. Oh, now I know 
what they like, what they want, what I should do, how to be appropriate. And I think that's actually, again, that's the recipe for disaster. But for me, cultural humility is about, okay, maybe I know some stuff, and yes, I need to do that research, and I need to study, and I need to learn. But how do I not attach myself to it like it's it? And stay open and curious. And so I want to take this last one, and then I want to move into another practice. A clarifying question, because yeah. the, there's a distinction of like the first thing is maybe a cultural competence of I'm going to cover my head because that's what you do when in Rome. And the other one is thinking of like being in a community where um, physical, um, you know, I'm, I'm with a family and the husband regularly hits his wife if the lunch isn't ready on time. And um using restraint to not condemn and judge openly, but um, ask curious questions and like create an open dialogue in the family where th it's not like shaming them, but there's right. some, yeah. maybe that's the distinction. And that's what we're gonna move into right now is again, how do we not just ask the questions like, why do you do that? It's not really a very useful question to ask somebody something like that, right? But how do we ask, the more nuanced questions that actually have us learn something and perhaps have them learn something. And in the process, we're both more articulate and nimble in navigating our cultures and the cultures around us, right? So I want to um, shift into um, this practice that I refer to as uh, living into the question, which is a, a practice of uh, cultural humility. And so what I want to invite you to do is um, find a partner. I'm going to ask you to find a different partner than last time. So go find your partner. Sorry, folks. <laughs> OK. Okay, and I'm actually gonna invite you to find some sort of a talking piece. It could be a pen, it could be a piece of jewelry, but there's something about really being, being able to acknowledge when you're done before the other person jumps in. Um, and whoever is currently holding the talking piece will be going first. It's just easier that way. <laughs> okay, so what I, what I wanna invite us to do is I want you to to take a moment and think about some of those shame and rage sources that we just did in the population survey game and just find one that maybe was said, maybe wasn't said, that for you is really, is an edge for you, an area that you'd like to sort of lean into. And I want to invite you to um, come up with some questions. Okay, so when I think of, of cultural humility, to me, what it looks like is can we embody I don't know as a place of power? Mostly we're like, I don't know, oh crap, camouflage rock, right? <laughs> what if we were like, I don't know, huh, okay. That means there's an opportunity here and it requires something of me, but if we practice that, again, we're back in the conversation of catalyzing, right? So I want you to think of, so, what you'll do is you'll share with your partner your edge. Again, keep it succinct like we did in the game. And then I want you to take turns asking each other questions. So I'm going to have Bernard 
model this with me. You're going to model this? Come up here. This is my friend and colleague, Bernard Williams. Um, and so, all right, we're just going to model it. It'll make more sense once you see it. So um, you're going to have to use the mic because it's on a recording. No, this one. You just have to bend your knees. We'll use this as the talking piece. OK, here's the talking piece. So do you have an edge? Mm -hmm. You want to say what it is? Yeah. Uh, I feel shame when I care too much what people think. So now I'm going to invite you to, if it's useful, share a sensation before you share. And we can definitely be doing that as we're in this exchange. And then I want you to start out by asking a question of deep wonder, right? Not one of those questions that we can quickly answer, but a question that's going to, as some of those questions started to, some of those statements started to send us like, oh, oh, it takes us in a place. So name a question of deep wonder. It shouldn't be a yes or no question or a why question, because those aren't really deep wonder. Um, why could be, but that's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, be succinct with your questions. Don't qualify. Does everyone know what I mean by that? I don't want to qualify that piece. Um, so you name a question. Go ahead. How can I stand in dignity when I have a really strong opinion? When he's done, he passes me the talking piece. I'm going to let myself be impacted by that. And then I'm going to offer a question. And I'm going to offer a question about his edge, but I'm also not going to be like it's his edge. This is now our edge. OK, so tell me your question again. Sorry, I'm tracking all the admin. My question was, how can I stand in dignity when I have a really strong opinion? So how can he stand in dignity when he has a really strong opinion? So I'll note my, my face is pulsing a little bit. And the question that comes for me is, um, what, what's underlying my strong opinions? My bladder feels full. <laughs> Keeping it real. Can you share your question again? It was really good. What is underlying the strong opinions? How can I get to the point where I don't feel ashamed, overly ashamed about my shame? Like that. OK. So you're going to spend, how much time did I give you? Um, two minutes on each person's, and then we'll switch, and we'll do the other person's. Any questions? No, we're living into the question. Deep wonder. You say what your shame arranges, and then you ask the first question. Yes. 
So you, yeah, you name your shame or rage, and then you ask the first question, and then your partner is not saying, what is your blah, blah? They're getting in there with it. What is my or what is our? Um, clear? All right, do it. I'll let, you, I'll let you know when two minutes is up. And I'm curious to know, as you did that, right, there were three things that were going on. We were looking at our rage or shame, um, and we we're using the practice of cultural humility. So I'm curious to know, just from that little exercise, how can either any of those, rage, shame, or cultural humility, be a source of dynamic power? It just seems such an uh, ongoing practice, learning as you're doing it. So even if you kind of don't know uh, how, it's, it's worth trying. And then next time you'll know a little more, right. hopefully, if you're aware at all. Right. I love that. Because it's, it's the shift from it is, it's power as a fixed thing, right, or a limited commodity. It's this living thing. Great. Yeah, who else? I just... So when you brought up this whole living the question, it reminded me of something I was taught in uh, social work, which was being comfortable with ambiguity and That's accepting right. the ambiguity and yourself as not being the expert, but rather those with whom you're working as experts in their own lived experiences. And that all just kind of came flushing forward for me in terms of this whole session. So thank yeah, you. Beautiful. Um, it just seems like engaging really honestly with rage and shame, it just opens up this empathetic connection. And that empathetic connection and solidarity that can come from that is, seems like this platform to take action. Yeah. Um, as a movement, when, when you ask a question about powering a movement catalyst, that's what yeah. comes up for me. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you guys are moving into the second question. So again, how is that power a movement catalyst? So feel free to speak to either one of those or both as you're responding. Yes, I just noticed <clears throat> that rage and shame uh, are such powerful emotions. And to name them, to actually name them in this situation gives me a little distance from them, or um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they become fuel. That's right. For uh, something else to happen. That's right. Yeah. That's like in the story where I was like, "Oh, yeah, I'm angry." I wasn't. Yeah. I'm angry and I'm in it. Like I was like, "Oh, look at that!" I could do the bird's eye view. I was like, "Oh, you're pissed, yo." <laughs> Therefore, I could do something with that. But if I'm just if I'm just on fire, raging. I can't do that. Okay, now let's do a lay of the land. Who, what, what's the most useful way to use this? Beautiful. I think in my life, mostly, if I were in that circle, I would be the one trying to run after you and try to like get forgiveness and try to make sure that I'm okay and I'm a good person and all that crap. And <laughs> um, it's, it's because it's so unsettling and so uncomfortable to be in that place of this is not about them, this is about you, this is about That's me, right. you know, and, and to be, uh, you know, vulnerability is the only way that we grow, and so it's actually a very empowering thing to say, I'm here, and it's not about repairing the connection with them immediately, it's about looking at what is here to see. And so I, I feel like, to me, that's 
incredible source of power when I don't try to chase after forgiveness, quote unquote, but That's instead right. I stick with the intensity of what's going on for me. That's right. That's right. Anybody else? Yeah. For me, I, I agree with what you said, sister. It creates space. It's like I've got space to make another choice now. Right. Where, you know, if the shame and rage is just all-encompassing, I can't see past that. Right. So it created space for yeah. me. And it also allowed, I mean, again, if you think back to the story, and I often don't tote my own stories, but I'm, I'm now developing a body of work called Skillful Rage Workshops, um, and it's... and. And I'm, so I'm still learning about it. So I won't tote other people's rage and shame stories because that just feels inappropriate. But um, one of the things I'm really proud of in that moment was I also did self-care. I was like, don't, don't come after me because then it's about you. And I'm, I'm actually taking care of me right now by saying it, right? And now you need to take care of you. And I want you to. So, and part of that is being able to be with the discomfort of it, right? So, but you need that bird's eye view to be able to see that. This one, this one, and then, and then we're going to finish. Marianne Williamson was talking at, um, I think, the Impact Hub in Oakland a while back on politics and just said, you know, social change doesn't happen horizontally, it happens vertically. And it's like the depth of the emotion and the power of example, you know, like Martin Luther King or, you know, social justice movements. And so I think this is all exemplifying. I'm making a stand. Here's what's right. I am like willing to not be liked right now to cut through it and be a pillar in a new way. Like it's a pattern disrupt in, so in society that shakes people up. So... It's like, wow. It's so the depth of it. Yeah, beautiful. Let's do this woman and then that man back there, and then we'll finish. Um, one, it's brought up something that I haven't really thought about for years in terms of a particular incident, but <clears throat> it was a, a situation where um, somebody told a lie about me in a group. And mm. I spoke directly to, to this person, but then what I just realized I also did was um, then not speak to him and spoke to everyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I, had, I ended up having allies of these other people, yep. uh, which I hadn't really thought about, but... That's skillful. In this work, we refer to that as gossiping responsibly. Okay. So it was just it was very helpful to me like in that self-care part. That's right. That's right. And let's just let this man back there finish. Um, so first of all, I I would say, you know, I I entered this room and 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 when I saw rage, I was just like, "Oh my god, like I'm like I don't I don't do that." <laughs> um, but I think it's you know, it's showing how like usually it's not something that we go out and talk about, like we keep it to ourselves. And I think there's something very powerful um, about this and just being able to share it with somebody and, and you are able to realize that it's not just me and we can all sort of bond it um, on, on, you know, under that. And I feel, and when I look at shame, to me and shame and rage, there's something sort of underlying that and I saw like there's a level of consciousness um, and awareness 
Um, because, you know, some of it, I mean, I mean, you might not even know if you're actually doing something um, that's like, you know, resulting in, in shame or rage um, right. in somebody else. But um, just by having that ability to share and in, in that openness, and it just make you realize that, um, you know, there is those things going on and you are able to connect in, in, in that create to me, like that can, I can see that to be a mm -hmm. great catalyst for a movement. Beautiful and great words to close on. So um, before you leave, we're gonna ask you to fill out the evaluations and I wanna echo that um, just outside the door and up here we have, again, their cards about Monday, but they're also on the back is, uh, if anybody wants, is interested in learning more about the work that Fierce Allies does, we have a little discount offer on the back, so feel free to take one. Um, and to close, I would just like to invite you all to um, just join me in a little ritual we used to do when I was uh, teaching in prison. So just repeat after me. Any positivity generated? We give away to everyone. For the sake of freedom. Thank you all for coming.